I'm going to be reading from Nehemiah chapter 2. And just to set the background for this, in the year 587, the Jews in the southern kingdom of Judah were taken into captivity. God had promised that He was going to eventually restore them. Seventy years went by. And at that time, the Lord lifted up a man by the name of Nehemiah to restore Jerusalem again because it was devastating. And that's where we begin our story in chapter 2. It came about in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes that wine was before him and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I have not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why, are you, why is your face sad though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and the gates have been consumed by fire? The king said to me, why would you, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it please the king and if your servant has found favor before you, Send me Judah to the city of my father's tomb, that I may be gone. Bow with me as we pray. Gracious God and Almighty Savior, thank you that you are with us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that guides us in our worship. God, we today lift up our hearts and minds and hands to you. We pray, O oh God, that you might be with us today in great power. Let us do this, Lord, today, worship you, serve you. Acknowledge you as the Lord of our lives. God, we pray for everyone here who come with various needs and concerns. And we lift up each one of those. For those that are sick. For those that have stress and emotional struggles. For those that may have physical and financial difficulties. God, just meet whatever need that we have. God, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, this is no surprise. Men and women are very different. <laughs> now, my wife <clears throat> is able to go into a department store where they have all these clothes and cosmetics and shoes. And she can go in and try on five different outfits, not buy any of them, and then walk out to the next store and do exactly the same thing. I have to admit, after five minutes of being in a store like that, I am bored to tears. <laughs> But I knew I was And when I left Louisiana, I came here, and I didn't bring hardly any tools at all. I wasn't sure that I would need them, but as soon as I got here, I realized, yes, I need tools. My favorite place to go for entertainment shopping is at Home Depot. <laughs> all of you guys know what I'm talking about. That's like a men's department store. And we go in there, they got, they got saws, they have drills, and then I had to buy advice, and all kinds of grinders, hammers, and chisels, all the works you can find there in Home Depot. In fact, you find a lot of things that you buy that you don't really need. You know, one day you might need. <laughs> tools are important. And God has tools as well. All of us. We have been chosen as the tools of God. And it's amazing as you look at the Bible that God doesn't usually do things by Himself. 
He uses people. So when God wanted to take the captive people out of Egypt, He called Moses to do the job. Now God could have sat them from here to there. would have been a lot more efficient, but He used a person. When God wanted to warn the the southern king of Judah that He was going to send His judgment, He could have spoken to people directly, but He called Jeremiah and Obadiah to do that. The New Testament, God was ready to send forth His Son into the world. He chose a woman by the name of Mary. She was honored. Now, she's not to be praised or worshipped because she needed a Savior just like all the rest of us. She was a woman of honor because God had selected her for a very special job. And now in these verses, we find Nehemiah is selected when he got a report from his brother and from others that came from Jerusalem, they said the two people are in terrible shape. Walls have all been knocked down, all the stones were all over the place, and the doors had been burned, and the people were put without any kind of protection. So we find uh, several things in the progression here. And I think these things are helpful for us in determining and doing God's will ourselves. First of all, there's a time of waiting. Now, when Nehemiah learned about what was going on, this is a problem that was too big for him. No one man could ever rebuild the wall. This was a God-sized problem. And so the first thing they did was he began to weep and to pray and to fast. And there was no immediate solution in his mind. So for some four months, he was seeking the face of God, maybe seeking some kind of revelation or something to happen. Finally, after four months, it did happen. The king, Artaxerxes, noticed that he was sad. And he said, I can see that you're sad. What's the matter? Tell me about it. And Nehemiah said, may the king live forever. And then he said, if it please the king, let me go back and restore the city of my fathers. The king said, well, what do you need? And I guess in those four months, God had prepared him well, so he knew exactly what to ask for. He said, well, give me a letter, give me a safe passage, send some soldiers with me, and when I get there, send another letter so that they can give me the wood to be able to rebuild the gates. The king said, you got it, everything that you need. And so God had been working all of this out. You know, in our lives sometimes, there's a problem that is so big, it's God-sized. And God does not give us an immediate solution. But it says, wait. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, But they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run, not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Wait upon the Lord. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to wait. He said, wait for the power on high. He didn't tell them, you know, go out and evangelize to everybody. Don't tell everybody about me. He said, wait. Because they could not do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he had to go away for the Spirit to come like that. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended with great power. 
people, Peter got up to preach. And he preached a sermon to all those that were gathered together. And the Bible says, as a result of that, the people were pricked at the heart. They were stabbed in the heart as though by a knife. And they, under deep conviction, they became believers. They had 3,000 people that day. Bill, that's acceptable. <laughs> 26 times as many at the end of the day, the day as at the beginning of the day. And they did this because they waited for the power. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really like waiting. Uh, when I think God wants something to be, I'm ready to do it now, not months later. But sometimes God has named you with Some years ago, I was in South Dakota, pastor. <clears throat> and I got a letter from my mission board saying, because of your interest in foreign missions, uh, we want you to consider sending us some information. Well, I had never had any interest in foreign missions. I was in South Dakota. That was as far from the promised land as I ever wanted to go. <laughs> so I put the letter away, but then I got word that they were going to be opening a seminary in Canada. For some reason, at once, my heart was stirred. And I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe this is what God wants. But I didn't do anything. So they sent me another letter. Because of your continued interest in foreign missions, we'd like for you to go to the conference center in New Mexico. Now, I was already scheduled to go for another week, and so I couldn't take two. So I, I, I declined that, and I did fill out the paperwork and send it in. But I did not realize I was applying. I just thought that I was sending information. Well, they called me, and then a guy came to visit me in South Dakota, Mr. Revis. I remember that even after 30 something years. And we began to talk, and <clears throat> I told him, I said, I understand that there will be opening a seminary in Canada, and I, I think that the New York God wants me to go. He said, Okay. You have all the qualifications. He said, uh, If we select someone for that position, you'll be first on the list. <clears throat> well, that was good news, but. Nothing happened right away. I guess the comedians you know, weren't on top of things or whatever, but I had to wait month after month, and finally the board was even getting concerned. They, they called me and they said, Look, would you consider being a professor at some other seminary around the world? And I said, No. Not unless God closes this door, because I believe that's where God is leading me. So my call was never to foreign missions per se, it was to go to one particular situation. And then I waited month after month after month. And listen, I, I had a good position in South Dakota. And God was blessing the work. But at this time, my heart was beginning to be divided because I was thinking about what I was going to be doing, probably, and what I was doing now. And I was just ready for a decision, any decision. Time by me after seven or eight months. Uh, the word came through, and they said, okay, you're going to Canada. But first, you have to go to Virginia for training for a couple more months. Waiting upon the Lord. Sometimes God tells us to wait. Maybe we have to fix in our mind the things God wants us to do and how we do it. Maybe God just wants to teach us patience. And some of us could use a little patience from time to time. 
And there was a time for Nehemiah to wait. For four months he had to wait before anything happened. And finally he was given permission by the king. But then secondly, there is a time of working. So Nehemiah began his trials. Went all the way to Jerusalem and he didn't even tell anybody immediately who he was. He wanted to check out the situation and he did it at night, probably so nobody else would see what he was doing. And so he was going to ride around all of Jerusalem, which is pretty big, and the walls were completely destroyed. In fact, it was so bad he had to get down and walk most of the way. But the next morning, he got up and he told the people, we have a terrible situation here. We are despised by the other nations because we can't even protect ourselves. Let's get up and build that wall. They said, yes. He said, the Lord has been with me in all of this. So they were beginning the construction of the wall. This is a great challenge to be made to people. <clears throat> and they were going to work for God. And in our lives, it is important for us. The, the main thing that we have to do in this world is to work for God. We, we have to work at other jobs to be able to support ourselves. But the main job that we have is serving God, working for Him. Peter Lord said some years ago, the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. The main thing for the believer is following and obeying the will of God. And you do that by working. Now, we're supposed to pray. It's good to be a people of prayer, and certainly Nehemiah had prayed. Then we're to put feet to the prayer. We have all kinds of ministries in the church here, and we get all kinds of requests for people to do additional ministries. That's good. But we always ask, well, how are we going to staff this? How are we going to fund this? What are we going to do? We can't do everything, but when God has placed a burden upon us, maybe God is calling you to be in charge of that thing that you feel inspired for the church to do. So he's talking about a little girl. And she had a brother who made bird traps. And that really disturbed her that he was catching and killing these little birds. And so she started praying that the brother wouldn't catch the birds. God didn't seem to answer her prayer. So one night she came in and she prayed, Lord, I pray that Willie won't catch any more birds tonight. And I know they won't because I broke the traps before I came here. <laughs> Maybe that's the kind of determination that we have. Jesus said that his purpose coming here is to do the will of the Father that sent him. And God gives every one of us exactly that purpose. Pastor Bill said that sometime in the near future, he's going to be teaching a course on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives gifts to every one of us. Not anyone has all the gifts, but every one of us has some gift. And the key there is not just knowing what your gift is, but how are you going to plug in and serve God with that gift? How do you go about the Lord? whether God is giving you a work to do. How, how do you find out exactly what that is? I, I want to just suggest a couple of things. This is not an exhaustive list, but a couple of things. First of all, sometimes God just calls us to do a job. As a pastor, we depend upon the individual to say, God's calling me. 
to be a pastor. And then there's the confirmation of the church. Here in our church, we have a bunch of elders. And they are serving as we believe that God has called them. They believe that God has called them to the job, and the church confirms that calling. Then we have deacons, and they're serving. And then we have a whole bunch of other people, and all of us are called upon to serve God because of the call. God calls some to be missionaries. God called me, I believe, very strongly to be a chaplain, first of all, in a prison, and later to be a warden in a prison. And I, I had a stronger sense of God's calling in doing that than perhaps any other thing that I've done. But God calls us, and I, I sometimes have people say, well, you know, does God speak to us today? I said, well, we've done something wrong. Prayer is not supposed to be a monologue where we tell God things. It's supposed to be a dialogue where God speaks back to us. And He convicts us within our hearts. We know unmistakably that is the will of God. And the second thing to do is by looking around and seeing where God is working. Henry Blackley wrote a book with a co-author called Experiencing God. One of the important points that he makes there is that you know sometimes, maybe not all the time, but sometimes we have to look around and see where God is working and join God in that activity. Instead of starting something, and asking God to join us, we join where God is working. And God is always working somewhere. God is working in people's minds and their hearts. Like we said when he was pastoring in Saskatchewan, Canada. There was a university, a local university, and they wanted to start some kind of work there. And they thought that they would do a Bible study. But he said that they tried for almost two years and nothing happened. And so he called together a few of the students that were attending the university and he said, I would like for you to go to the university and look for signs of the activity of God. And when you find that, drop everything else that you're doing and pursue it. So they did. So one girl came back on that Wednesday. And she said she had been going to class with this particular girl for about two years in different classes. The girl came up to her and she said, are you a Christian? She said, yes. She said, we've been trying to have a Bible study in our dorm room, 11 girls, but none of us are Christians. And Do you have anybody that can come to teach And So that's where it started. Seeing God's activity from that. Now we're eventually three Bible studies among the women. Two Bible studies among the men that were started. Not because somebody came up with a great idea, but for watching and looking at the activity of God. How do you know whether God's calling you to do something? You look every day for signs of God's activity in your life. So there's waiting for God. Time of waiting, and then there's a time of working, but then there comes a time of withstanding. Every time you're going to do the will of God and try to do a work for God, you're going to face opposition. The Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And I have seen sometimes in churches where there was great revival, and it seemed that Satan came right in and did everything that he could to destroy 
Jesus said, if you do his work and live like him, you are going to face persecution. If you don't face any persecution, that may be a sign that you're not doing anything to threaten Satan at all. Here, Nehemiah faced opposition. There were three. There was Sanballat, there was Tobiah, and there was Geshe. And they were local leaders. And after they found out that the Jews were going to be rebuilding Jerusalem, they didn't like that at all because they could come and go as they wanted. They could take whatever they wanted, and there was no defense against them. So they used a whole bunch of tactics. First of all, they laughed and they said, What are you going to do to rebuild the wall of these stones that have been burned? Uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to replace these? That didn't work, and so uh, the Jews just kept on building. Everyone was building outside of his own home, the wall behind his house. Uh, the, the part that they had the best interest in. They just kept on building. And then they tried ridiculing him. They said, you know, if a fox crawled across this wall, they would fall down. They didn't bother. They just kept on building. And then they began to threaten uh, murder with uh, Nehemiah, which makes sense because he was the leader, the ringleader. And so they said, uh, <clears throat> why don't you come and have a meeting with us in another town? Of course, Nehemiah understood what they were doing. They weren't going to get him over there to kill him. <coughs> so Nehemiah said, I cannot come. I'm doing a great work here. They tried that two or three different times, and each time he gave them the same answer. I can't come down. I'm doing a great work. Well, that didn't work, and so they tried black. They said, the only reason you're building this wall is so that you can become king. You can set yourself up as king. What's King Anerxes going to think about you doing all of this? That made him a little nervous. He just kept going building the wall. And with all the threats, the Bible says they prepared themselves. They were working because they knew that they could be attacked. And they had a sword in one hand and a trial in the other. The sword and the trowel. And in addition to that, they had some people working on the wall and others that were standing by with their weapons ready to withstand whatever was coming at them. All the while, they kept on jumping. And then they hired a false priest. And they said to Nehemiah, he said to Nehemiah, come inside the temple so you can be protected because that's a sacred place. Uh, they won't attack you there. He said, no, not going to do that. He knew that they were trying to undermine his authority. He appeared to be afraid that they would have won. They kept on working day after day. And in 52 days, the wall of Jerusalem had been restored, all of the doors. This was such a great thing to praise God for because it was not something that men could have done. This happened in God's way. So when we face all kinds of tribulations, attacks, we have to understand by being as close to God as we can. You know, I've heard people say that they were afraid, Christians say they were afraid of being possessed by a demon. I don't think that that can happen personally. Because it is impossible for the Holy Spirit and the demon to be in the same place. Because God will drive them out. 
And uh, the Bible lets us know greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. You can stand up against any attack because God is with you. The Bible says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. During the Second World War, even after Hitler had committed suicide and armistice had been signed, the fighting was not stopped the Germans. Some of the German commanders were aware that they could not win the war, but they kept on fighting because uh, they didn't want to surrender to the Russians. And also, some of the soldiers were afraid of the Poles and other people because they had mistreated them. And they were afraid that if they gave up their weapons, they would likely be killed, and they would have. But finally, uh, this, this uh, officer signed the agreement to give up the weapons and also to be surrendering to the Allies instead of to Russia. Because they knew that if Russia took control of them, it would be very bad. And so they were better off in the hands of the Allies. And that's exactly what they did. We face attacks from the evil one. Nothing can happen as long as we are drawing near to God. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. I'm a very newly wed, and when we were married, we made a commitment that Christ was going to be the center of our lives and the center of our marriage. And we knew that there were going to be attacks. And so one of the prayers that we prayed is that God would build a hedge of protection around us, that we will be able to withstand every attack. In your life, that same is true. Draw oh God, thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank you for this opportunity today to worship you in songs and prayers and praise and your word. Let your Holy Spirit dwell within us throughout this week. God build a hedge of protection around us and our families. Lord, we pray your blessings upon us now in Jesus' name.